Today's program is brought to you by Austin East Ciders. For more information, visit their website at austineastciders.com. I'm Erin Fairbanks, host of The Farm Report. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Good evening and welcome to Fun Men About, about it. it on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm Mary Izette. And I'm Chris Kuzmi. And we're your co-hosts through this weekly journey of all things fermented. Archived on Stitcher, iTunes, and right here on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. <laughs> Before we start uh, and get too far into our show, uh, which I'm very, very excited about, and I want to just say thank you to everybody who showed up on Ollie the Trolley last Thursday. We had an amazing time uh, going to all the different breweries, uh, being Folks Beer, Strong Rope, Kings County Brewers Collective, and Interborough. Uh, it was really fun to host everybody with Kelly Taylor, uh, and we got on that old school 1950s trolley um, and and rolled around. It was it was quite a quite a good time and a great way to travel. Um, I think Mary had a good time. Uh, <laughs> it took a while for both of us to recover from it. No reason we should do that on a Thursday, but it was a lot of fun. I enjoyed it. Yeah, I've, I've been on the, under the weather for a week and a half, <laughs> which didn't contribute. No. <laughs> but welcome back. Uh, and then also thank you to Six Point Brewing Company. They, I mean, Keir Hamilton, the head brewer there, uh, first of all, they've been doing this, this thing for five years, uh, benefiting the Humane Society of New York. And what's really cool about this is he, they invite all their brewing friends, uh, or at least 30 of them, uh, to do this, this one-off beers that you, you know, never made before never, and probably will never be made again. Uh, and it's just such an awesome event of a lot of really, really Really unique beers. Um, thank you, Six Point, for doing it yet once once again, and uh, for including Dave and I from Fifth Hammer uh, to brew uh, our pumpkin, our non-spiced pumpkin honey porter. I thought it was delicious, uh, and kudos to you, Kier, for juggling thirty different beers uh, in this style. Uh, totally uh, above me on the call of duty of of uh, what you normally do for a Six Point Brewing Company. Speaking of brewing companies, Blocktoberfest is on October 22nd uh, at The Well. Blocktoberfest is our annual fundraiser for uh, the New York City Brewers Guild and that puts on uh, New York City Beer Week. Uh, and and uh, this is really great. Only New York City breweries uh, attend and, and serve beer at this event. Uh, I'll be playing as part of the home brewsitions as well this day. Uh, and it's going to be a lot of fun. Please, if you can make it, it's 1230 to 530 uh, at The Well in Bushwick. You can go to NewYorkCityBrewersGuild.com and look, go to the events portion of that page or of that website be able to find out more information on that. Basically, it's $10 to get in, and then it's $5 per 12-ounce pour, uh, and then you can split that into, into uh, four or six-ounce pours as well. It's a really good time, uh, and we really love the support so that we can stay organized and be doing stuff uh, when, when, uh, when beer week comes. Also coming up, Learn to Homebrew Day, November 5th. Learn to Homebrew Day was established by the American Homebrewers Association in 1999 to encourage homebrewers to introduce their non-brewer friends and family to the most rewarding hobby, obsession, and lifestyle since the beginning of time. Bold words. Isn't that cool how they write that out? <laughs> it's true, though, too. Um, so that's what kind of brought Mary and I together. That kind of is what started this show, Homebrewing, and we want to share it with you. At Fifth Hammer Brewing Company, I'll definitely be brewing uh, during the afternoon, and I invite you guys to come by uh, Long Island City. 
And then also at the well, last but not least, uh, on October 30th, Puptoberfest by Flying Dog Brewing Company at the, is going to be at the well. Uh, they are partnering up with, with Brunity uh, and Mary and, and uh, Flying Dog, the well, to help raise awareness and funds for an amazing cause, Pets for Vets. So basically, Pets for Vest, Rep Vet, Pets for Vets, rescues shelter dogs, trains them, and then partners these second chance pups with deserving veterans. Uh, and I think it's just really sweet and really beautiful, especially after seeing a sheepdog exhibition yesterday at the Sheep and Wolf Festival. I thought that was amazing. Thank you for introducing me to Sheep and Wolf Festival, Mary. Mary's saving her voice because she's going to talk a lot later in this show. Because we're all very excited to have our friend Dave Jansen on the line, calling in from Canada. Dave, how are you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks, Chris. How are you? <laughs> I'm good. Uh, I am really, really excited about today's show. Uh, Mary and I have been brewing together a long time, and we really love low-alcohol beers. And one of our first beers we launched with as Cousette Libations was a Grisette. Um, but before we go to all these topics, uh, why are we talking to you? Who are you? You have a really great and fun journey um, that has brought you to uh, your blog and website. And tell us a little about yourself. Yeah, all right. So um, I started brewing, I guess, about nine years ago. Um, uh, when I might or might not have been of legal age to do that sort of thing. <laughs> might or might not. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. So I was a chemistry student, and and I I was like, oh, I could I could probably make beer. That's like water chemistry. Um, so yeah, I started brewing 2007, and uh, around 2009 I started taking it really seriously. I'd been drinking some Belgian beers and and fell in love with saison, um, and. And uh, started making Belgium trips starting in 2009, and that got me even more interested in, in Belgian beers. And um, yeah, from that point, I, I I took a couple years off, uh, moved to Canada, and then uh, again, really seriously started brewing, uh, focusing almost exclusively on saisons, uh, which, which paid off for me. So uh, it was 2013, I guess. Yeah, 2013, I I won first place in the uh, national homebrew competition in the Belgian category with a saison. Oh, right on. Uh, yeah, and, and so since maybe 2011 or 12, I've been brewing almost exclusively saisons, and I got interested in this historic Belgian beer stuff, which which is kind of what leads us to Grisette, I suppose. Right. Um, yeah, so I, I got interested in historic Belgian beer uh, by seeing some of the historic styles reemerging, and and I was really stoked on on lambic and saison, and, and I was like, oh, I should learn more about the history of these, and started looking at what other brewers were doing. Um, so that's what got me into into Grisette, where we are now. Well, I, what I really love about this about your journey is that you're sharing what you're learning as as you go. Uh, and what is what is your website? How do you pronounce it? And how do you spell it? And, and, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I, I pronounce it colloquially uh, as a non-French speaker because I myself am a non-French speaker. So so it would be uh, if a, if an anglophone were to sound it out, it would be Horse Category Brewing, and that's horsecategorybrewing.com. Uh, category spelled with an IE. Um, uh, yeah, and and yeah. So I, I started this blog because I'd moved to Germany for work and I couldn't brew, and I had all this like beer angst that I, I needed to get out somehow. So so I started publishing what I was doing or what I had been doing and, and what I plan to do in the future. What are some of the favorite things that you that you have on this site that you found uh, uh, just fun? What sparked sharing it? it? I mean. Yeah, I, I guess I, um, I I think about things in a pretty detailed way. I'm, I'm still a chemist, and that's my day job. So um, so I I think about things in a pretty like process driven and, and detailed way. And and I had done all this work with Cezanne, and and I had achieved some good results. So I thought I should I should start writing about that. 
and then I was I was living in Europe and I had access to all these breweries that a lot of people don't have access to. So I thought, oh, I can write about visiting these places too and what I learned from them. It's pretty, uh, it's, pretty, it's pretty great uh, how you show your, your your visits to for a lot of the breweries. I mean, I have not yet done my Belgian the the, the Belgian trip, and uh, I, but I have dove into your blog and and feel like I'm, I'm there. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, perfect. Because of those details, because really going in there and, and the pictures and showing you know your way through the day, it's been been really beautiful. Yeah, yeah, it's been good. Um, you're a strong member of of uh, Milk the Funk as well. Yeah, that's right. So I'm uh, I'm one of the wiki editors of Milk the Funk, um, which which means I I generate a small portion of content. There's like 99% Dan Pixley's information and 1% the rest of us. So I'm, I'm one of that 1%. (laughs) (laughs) Right on. Right on. Uh, let's, let's get into Grisette for a second. Uh, so I first read about Grisette and, uh, I think you mentioned this in your, in your latest blog about it, uh, with Phil Markowski is kind of where, where I first saw that. And Mary brought it back to us and, uh, as well, talking about the Grisette. Saisons themselves can be pretty wide, widely defined, but Grisette is, is kind of a subcategory within that. Yeah. So choosing like a, a, a UK-centric or North American-centric mindset to break down styles can be difficult with things like Belgian beer. So, so you're right. It is kind of a wide target, um, and it, it overlaps quite strongly with Saison. So, uh, yeah, so I, I also first learned of it in, um, in farmhouse sales, and I've met some brewers in Europe that first learned of it in farmhouse sales, which, which shows... How uh, how it's not prevalent there anymore? What does the word grisette mean? Grisette is um, is little gray, like a diminutive form of the word gray. Um, and there's there's some lore about what it could mean in terms of how the name derived, um, possibly because of the stone that the miners would have been mining, or because of the the women that would have been serving beer. Uh, I I think those are are rumors and lore and I'm happy to leave them there. I haven't haven't seen anything that really substantiates them, so I I wouldn't present that as as absolute truth, but those are some of the stories out there. So then there's a lot of rumors and lore of of this of the style of the name. It seems like it's hard to pinpoint exactly how to define a grisette as well. Or that's been a lot of uh, there's been a wide interpretation uh, so, particularly here in America, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. and people using the name because it became a buzzword, uh, you know, a few years back as well. So, um, give us a crash course on on what you have found um, a grisette is. Yeah, cool. Okay, so that's a that's a good way to start this. Um, I yeah, I agree that it's it's been interpreted in wildly different ways, and that's what brought me into all this research. So, so if I were to sum it up very quickly. I would say that uh, Grisette is a is a pale beer uh, brewed with wheat and barley, uh, and it's noticeably hoppy, and it's it's not very acidic, and it doesn't have a, a strong Brettanomyces expression. So, like a an easy drinking, light, refreshing pale wheat beer with some hops. What ABV would it generally uh, would do you think that, has that changed over the years? I I don't think that's changed too much. I think something like Saison has changed more. So so historically, it seems that uh, central to the identity of Grisette is that it wasn't a beer that was intended for long-term aging, for the most part, whereas Saison historically is a beer that's intended for prolonged aging. And, and now most Saisons you find aren't, aren't very aged beers. So uh, historically, Saison has kind of moved in a, a Grisette-type direction. What sort of water profiles do you think are best for like the grisette or or 
Oh man! I mean, getting, you're the water. You're the water. You're the water. You're the water chemist and and uh, your oceanography man. Awesome. That's right. Yeah, I do. So, my day, my day job is water chemistry. Yeah, right. um, so, um, I I think there's a good breakdown in farmhouse sales um, of some different water profiles that. Um, that you could find in, in the south-central region of Belgium. So Grisette, uh, much like Cezanne, comes from the Hainaut province, this, this sort of southwestern, south-central uh, area of Belgium. So farmhouse sales breaks down some different water profiles. Um, the, the water there is generally uh, fairly high in mineral content. So if you wanted to brew um, towards the direction of a Belgian brewer, you, you would want to probably add some stuff to your water. I usually shoot for about... Um, 100 to 130 ppm uh, calcium, about 150 ppm sulfate, about 110 ppm chloride. So fairly balanced sulfate to chloride. Um, uh, and that, that's probably slightly on the low end of minerals in terms of, of what many of these brewers might be starting with. Um, but, it, but yeah, I would balance a little bit towards sulfate, but not excessively so um, if I were going to brew something like this. And those, those are all total concentrations. I start here in Victoria with, with basically uh, distilled water and uh, because the groundwater here is is so low in minerals. Cool. So let's move on to malt. So if, kind of speaking from recipe formulation, if somebody who hasn't brewed a grisette before is wants to start with a grisette, what are, what are kind of some of the ranges um, and types of malt that you would recommend that they choose from? Cool. Yeah, I, I think that grisette um, can be really simple on the malt side or extremely complicated, depending on, on how you want to do that. And I don't mean complicated in terms of a lot of malts, but in terms of the specifics of the malt. So for your base malt, that's going to be probably about 80% of the grist. I would, I would choose something like a continental European Pilsner, um, so like a, a Weirman or, um, or Franco-Belge, um, just kind of like a standard Pilsner. If you wanted to use a North American Pilsner, I don't think that would be a disaster. I think you'll get some more character out of the European ones, so I would, I would lean the European direction. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you wanted to do something a little bit darker, like a, a, a continental European pale malt, um, you can, Dingemans makes a malt like this. You could, you could do something like that as well. I don't think that would be problematic. And then the rest would be wheat. Um, and, and historically, it would be malted wheat, um, but it would be very under-modified malted wheat. So if you wanted to start simple, you could just use wheat malt for that roughly 20% we have left, or you could split that between wheat malt and flaked wheat to to make your average wheat composition a little bit less malted. Um, uh, so you, could, you could go with something like that. If you really wanted to, to nerd out and try to do it closer to history, you could get, um, you could get what's called chitted wheat, which is like, it's, it's basically as unmalted as you could make a malt and still have it be a malt. So it's, it's extremely under-modified wheat malt. And uh, Chateau or Castle Malting in, in Belgium uh, makes a chitted wheat that you could try to source. And then what would one do... Um to, for, to the chitted wheat, what would be the brewing process? The brewing, so uh, traditionally you'd be using step mashes for a lot of this stuff. Um, historically, they would have been a mash in the beta-glucan rest, so um, somewhere around 110 Fahrenheit, 45-ish Celsius. Um, uh, and then you'd probably do a protein rest and then a sacrification rest. Uh, I don't think if you skipped that beta-glucan, I don't think that'd be a disaster. It might be helpful with less modified malts if you really wanted to go for it. But, um, but yeah, a multi-step infusion mash is a, kind of a classic Belgian way to go. Uh, and I, I should have mentioned with the grain, I mean, that's like the core of grisette. If you wanted to throw in some other grains, I don't think that would be 
um, wildly ungrisette like I haven't seen anything historically that says grisette would have had oats or it would have had rye or something, but um, I don't think it's I don't think it's a, a serious problem if you want to throw in a bit of other grains as well. Cool. And those are all those are all good riffs out there. I mean, if you would want to go, you know, beyond the traditional grisette, I suppose. Yeah, exactly. as we've yeah. you know, as we've seen, and probably some of us have done, <laughs> and we're guilty of it. I mean, I'm relieved to hear you say rye because our grisette, what we put out as a grisette, was a rye grisette. It was wheat, rye, and as as like thirty percent of the of the grist and seventy percent puree. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, I think that's pretty that's pretty grisette like. Um, yeah. Let's take a short break, and then we'll be right back, because I want to talk about, you said it's a tradition, traditionally was a hoppy beer, but I'm sure it's not just any hop, so stay yeah, tuned cool. for <laughs> Hops and Grisette with Dave Jansen. For Manabat. Are you an East Sider? We live on the east side of town. Our shipping container studios are at Roberta's in Bushwick, across the East River, separating New York City and Brooklyn. In all my recent travels, it seems like the east side of town is the cool side of town in cities across the country. East Nashville is full of musicians and weird bars. The up and coming neighborhood around H Street in DC, on the east side, is overflowing with exciting food and nightlife. The best hidden spots and funky artists in New Orleans are in the Marini and Bywater, which, yup, is the east side of town. So, as east siders, we love drinks that represent our values. And nothing is more fitting than a cool, refreshing can of Austin east siders. That's east cider with a C. As the name implies, it is cider, and it's handmade on, you guessed it, the east side of Austin, Texas, using bittersweet and bittersharp cider apples. Cider apples are full of tannins, adding astringency and complexity of flavor to every sip. Austin East Ciders uses a mixture of European and Pacific Northwest apples to achieve ultimate flavor. Austin East Ciders is available in a few different variations, including original flavor, Texas honey, and two new additions, hopped and pineapple. Here at Heritage Radio, we love Austin East Ciders with some ribs, pulled pork, and even pizza especially Roberta's Pizza. You can find out more at austineastsiders.com and remember to hashtag Eastsiders to show your Eastside pride. You can also find Austin Eastsiders on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Welcome back to Fermenta About It on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. We are with our friend uh, Dave Jansen on the line from HorseCategoryBrewing.com. That's H-O-R-S-C-A-T-E-G-O-R-I-E Brewing.com. And we're talking about grisettes. But before we go back into it, uh, we just had a cider commercial, and I'd be remiss not to announce Cider Week is happening next week in New York City. Go to Cider Week NYC, October 21st to 30th. Um, and I almost forgot all about it, so I'm excited to, to remember that it's apple and season. Especially um, Wasail, which is... New York City's only uh, cider pub and restaurant bar restaurant is having a lot of great events. So definitely check out their events for sure. Yeah, man. Awesome. Um, but we're talking about grisettes right now. Now the topic is grisettes, and we're just getting into what types of hops to use traditionally for the style. Well, wait. I, 
I, I actually want to um, talk because I think when we talk about hops, you know, a hoppy beer in America, it means a very different thing these days than when you say a hoppy beer. Right. Uh, speaking about, you know, a Saison or a Grisette. Hoppy doesn't always mean bitter, though. Yeah, definitely. Right. Or or kind of some of the hop profiles that we're used to. Um, so let's talk a little bit about what you mean by a hoppy grisette. Yeah, cool. That's a really good clarification. Because I think there needs to be in. like a recalibration um, yeah. when you talk about certain <laughs> styles in today's environment. <laughs> yeah, that's good. So um, it, it's hoppy in terms of, of Belgian pale beers. And, and I think Belgian beer gets a bit of a bad rap at times for not being very hoppy. There's, there's a fair amount of hoppy Belgian beer out there, but the the mainstream Belgian beer has moved in a in a less hoppy direction. But, yeah, if you compare a grisette to an IPA, uh, the grisette will seem not very hoppy. So um, so it, it would be brewed using um, continental European-type hops, so uh, things like Saws uh, or Styrian Goldings. Potentially it would have been brewed with um, with U.K. hops, so like Goldings or Fuggles um, or, or German hops. So um, these kind of noble or noble-type hops that that don't give a lot of uh, forward fruity or, or floral flavors and a little bit more herbal on the herbal spicy end, uh, sort of smoother hoppy, smoother hops for the same unit of hoppiness than what you might find out of, like, West Coast North American hops. Mm-hmm. And then talk so, about additions. Oh, yeah, additions, yeah. So um, historic Belgian beers tend to favor... Uh, bittering hops over flavor hops a lot of the time. So I've seen a lot of, of old Belgian recipes that say something like, um, you know, uh, throw the hops in, boil for four hours, um, uh, and then maybe throw a little bit more hops in. Or maybe throw the hops in and boil for two hours, and then throw your finishing hops in and boil two more hours, and then you're done. So, um, so finishing hops are a bit of a, a different story um, compared to what, what we might be used to from conventional modern brewing. So I, I think that Grisette still would have had some finishing hops, especially as you modernize the style. Um, but but generally, I think hopping rates would have been on the order of four grams per liter, which is about half an ounce per gallon uh, for total hopping, using something like a like a Saz type hop or a Styrian Golding, uh, and and splitting that with a fair amount on the on the bittering side towards the the early part of the boil. Now, um, you bring up a good point when you talk about these long boils. What is your recommendation for 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 boil time? I suppose. Yeah, that's a that's another good question. <laughs> so a lot of these old Belgian beers, like long boil, was pretty common and and was believed to be beneficial for the beer. It, right. it would have helped uh, the beer to darken as well. So uh, especially with the sorts of malts that Belgians would have been using a hundred years ago, um, it, it they would favor darkening during the boil more than say North American malts might. Um, so I tend to boil for about 90 minutes. I don't see a need to boil for four hours, as, as might have been done previously. Uh, I think you could also boil for 60 minutes if you wanted to. I don't think 90 is, is absolutely necessary. But uh, if, you're, if your end goal was to try to be as historically accurate as possible, uh, a longer boil is probably better. If your end goal is to make the beer that you find most delicious, then do the sort of boil that you find most delicious. Right. <laughs> you probably also have to find uh, maltsters that were less, or malt that less modified. Yeah. Well, to be, yeah, to, if you're going to go like traditional. Really go. Right, step bash. Um, and then let's move into um, to yeast. Yeah, so yeast is like, I, 
I've spent an unreasonable amount of time researching <laughs> rosette, and, and yeast is the one big question. Yes. Um, I, I would say, so, um, so I'll start with things I know to be certainly true. Uh, Grisette is an ale that comes from the southwestern, south-central part of Belgium. Uh, ales throughout almost the entire history of Grisette would have been mixed culture beers, so, um, so not pure culture beers, um, because for most of this time it, it wasn't necessarily understood that yeast is what caused fermentation. So there would have been repitching of the yeast, but it, it was not a pure yeast. It was a mixed a mixture of Saccharomyces and Britannomyces and bacteria, some combination of, of those, mm-hmm. uh, and possibly other wild yeasts as well. So, um, so Grisette's definitely a mixed culture beer historically, uh, and it's definitely an ale. But because Grisette's not a beer that's designed for much aging, and because it has a reasonable hopping rate, it's also the sort of beer that by the time most people would have been drinking it, you wouldn't necessarily have known that it was a mixed culture beer. And I think that's, that's quite important. And that's where, in the modern world, some grisette breweries, I think, are making, or some breweries making grisettes, I think, are not really making grisettes. So, uh, yeah, so I don't know. Um, it's, it's somewhat ambiguous from the historic uh, documents. Mm-hmm. If the yeast would have been more Saison-like or maybe a little bit more neutral in profile, I think that either one would be a good option. So for, for my personal taste, uh, I tend to brew grisettes with Saison yeasts or Saison-appropriate yeast strains. Uh, I know brewers that also are quite familiar with the history in, uh, in Belgium and France do the same, that when they brew a grisette, they use Saison strains. But I think if you wanted to use a more neutral Belgian ale strain, uh, maybe something like what some of the Trappist monasteries are using, uh, I think that would also be an appropriate way to go. And going back to uh, mixed fermentation, I think, uh, you know, I always think people that aren't as familiar with with mixed fermentations, um, you can sometimes walk into a bar and have, you know, three different... Um, beers and as you know, bars generally do. You know, they might just have general descriptions and say brewed with Britannomyces or mixed fermentation. And really, it it very much depends on, like you said, how how much time that beer has had, and then also where the strain of bread, as well as where and when and how it was added. Um, yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, but I, I I'm just speaking to people maybe that have less ex- out there that have less experience that these mixed fermentation can go a lot of different ways. You can have a huge spectrum where you can't detect them. You know, you can't detect maybe what we traditionally think of Britannomyces as, you know, this farmhouse ale when you think about some of the barrel-aged, you know, more traditional barrel-aged bread bread beers that we all kind of started with to modern-day mixed fermentation where they're, you know, where bread and and Saccharomyces are being added and primary and they're being served fresh and you're not getting that Britannomyces character. You might get more fruitiness from the bread. Um, So I just wanted to kind of put that out there. Um, What are you... Yeah. Right in his, in his latest blog post with his recipe, uh, Dave, you, you, you have cultured from Thuriez. Right. Yeah, yeah. So I've been using um, I've been using yeast from, from Brasserie Thierrier. It's in the the northwest Thierry. part of France, uh, near to near Dunkirk. Um, that's a, a big city that's closest to. You. This is is theoretically the origin of the Y yeast French saison strain. Um, they they do behave quite differently. So so Daniel at the brewery at Brasserie Thierrier is getting his yeast from a Belgian lab. So it's in its absolute origin, it's a Belgian strain, and he's just using it because that's the strain that he likes. Uh, and uh, and it, his strain doesn't attenuate the way that 3711 does. So if, if people listening are familiar with Y East 3711, they'll know that it 
kind of rips through anything in, in a bit of a shocking way. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yep. So, uh, so his Daniel's yeast doesn't attenuate like that. It does attenuate well, but not not absurdly well. Uh, they also are different in their flavor profiles, in their flocculation characteristics, and in the way they look while they're fermenting. So, um, so it's definitely a different yeast. And I, if I'm going to choose a single saison strain, that's the best one I've found so far. But I'm also partial to to yeast blending. So maybe taking something of DuPont origin, like a 3724 from Y East or 565 from White Labs, uh, and blending that with um, with Y East 3711, or or you can come up with other blends as well. That's kind of fun to play around around with. So uh, yeah, I, I've been going with that with the Thierry strain, and I really like that. But it's not it's not commercially available as I've been using it. So what do you recommend if somebody wants to go? So like you said, you could probably recommend maybe somebody mixing the saison yeasts obviously you yep. could just use go with something like a traditional fr- french saison if you wanted to keep it simple um yep, absolutely what if you wanted to mix it up and actually add uh do a mixed culture what what do you what would you recommend yeah okay so that that opens a lot of possibilities um and and i yeah i, I think it was a really good uh clarification and explanation of mixed cultures that you added mary because that's that's uh I, I think that these beers all get lumped into one but there's a huge diversity of of where they can go based on on specific strains and conditions they're used in and time they're given. So, uh, yeah, I think I'm looking towards something like what Jester King is doing. So they make a beer called um, called Petite Prince, and they're using their their mixed culture, which has a couple different saison strains in it. It has um, some wild stuff from around their brewery, and and potentially some bottle dregs as well. I imagine they talk about this, and I don't remember exactly what they're using, but. Um, but when you have some of their beers fresh, they taste basically like normal saison type beers. And then as you let them age, that that mixed culture expresses itself more. So, so I think if if you were to try to make your own mixed culture for something like this, like, again, uh, reinforcing that Grisette generally is is a young beer, so maybe Grisette isn't the best choice to try to get a lot of mixed culture character. Uh, I would say go for um, some saison based strains. Um, Maybe bel- blending in some some Belgian more standard ale strains, and then um, bottle dregs from some of your favorite saison uh, breweries. I think is a good way to go for getting some of the Brett and the bacteria. So um, there's a plenty of great examples in the U.S. And I imagine if you're if you're trying to brew some of these beers uh, with a mixed culture, you've you've been drinking some mixed culture beer. So I just save up some of your favorite um, your favorite dregs. Um, maybe maybe biasing towards what some Saison breweries are using rather than what some, uh, some Lambic breweries are using because maybe you don't want quite that much funkiness but, um, and, and maybe you want a bit of a faster turnaround. But, yeah, I think, uh, I think the, the doors are pretty much open. You can also go with some, some lab cultures that are some of your favorites. I think the East Bay is making some great rep blends that, that I think could work out well. You're having a lot of fun brewing a lot. Uh, tell us about your Solera project currently. You've got a big barrel with your friend and, and are throwing stuff in and out of there. What's going on with that? Yeah, yes. So uh, although um, I seem to be most well-known for grisettes, it's actually <laughs> <laughs> it's, I'm, I'm intellectually interested in it, and I like drinking them, but it, I wouldn't say those are my favorite beers. So I would say Fair. my favorite beers are something like Lambic, and, and that's kind of what I'm trying to push my my barrels towards. So, uh yeah, I'm I'm brewing lambic-inspired wort at this point to top them up. I've got a, a full wine barrel and a half wine barrel that I I co-own both of them with some friends. And yeah, we've been we've been draining out of the full barrel, um, taking maybe six gallons out and topping up with six gallons of wort, um, turbid mashed raw wheat uh, and, and barley, aged hops, open cooled overnight, so like a 
following lambic approach, and and uh, I'm careful not to call my own beers lambics uh, right. for a number of reasons. But but um, yeah, definitely lambic inspired, and and putting them in the barrel, and that's been pretty exciting so far. Um, yeah, reading some some great some great results coming out, and then I have many beers that I'm brewing in carboys. Nobody should ever see where I live. It's a disaster. <laughs> it's like 30 carboys in my living room. That's awesome. That's a, reminds me of Mary's basement. <laughs> That's what I need. I need some place where it's not like you open the door and there they are. Uh, they need to be around at least one corner. Yep. So you've been to Belgium. If you're a home brewer, I always like to get advice. If you're a, a home brewer that is, um, or if a home brewer that is planning a trip to Belgium would ask you, hey, you know, what are some of your favorite places? What do you really recommend? Especially a home brewer that's interested in, you know, mixed fermentation, some of these yeah. funky Belgian-style beers, and, and, and just learning um, and also experiencing something that, that you wouldn't otherwise. That's a wide yeah. category. But what are some of your favorites? <laughs> okay, this is great. So I've, I've, I've been giving this advice out a lot, and I ended up, because I was basically creating it from scratch so many times, I've, I've made a number of blog posts about it, like visiting <laughs> Lambic Breweries, visiting Belgium in general, visiting Cezanne Brewery. Yep. But uh, some of my highlights are, um, this is like my ideal Sunday of life. Uh, if you're in Belgium on basically any Sunday of the year, um, I would go to this, this cafe that's roughly straight west of, of uh, Brussels called uh, Indivisekering Tegen de Grote Dorst, which is, um, Grote Dorst is like the shortened name, and it's in defense against the great thirst. It's only open for like two or three hours on uh, Sunday mornings for the church crowd after they get out of church. Um, but <laughs> nice. Yeah, it's great. It's, it's such a funny, like, it's the best balance of beer and Belgian culture. So I would go there in, like, 10 or 11 in the morning and have some excellent lambic. They've got a great uh, list of, of uh, cellared stuff and current stuff and unblend or uh, uh, lambic from, from, like, bags or, or kegs, like straight lambic. Um, and then I would go from there to Decam which is one of the smallest commercial lambic producers in Belgium, mm-hmm. and also only open on Sundays for a couple hours. Um, and there you can hang out in the cellar and see what's going on. Um, that's like my, my best Belgian day is, is these two lambic things put together. Um, if, you're, if you're really keen on brewing and visiting some of the breweries, then I think that's great. And some of them can be tough to get to and require a bit of planning. But on the last Saturday of the month, um, there's a Saison brewery in, in Pepe, Brasserie à Vapour, and they brew once a month on the last Saturday, and you're welcome to, to join and watch that. Cool. They, they brew with some of the oldest, craziest brewing equipment that you'll see in use. So that's really an amazing experience to go watch them brew. They're brewing with, um, with steam power. So um, their, their mash mixing is, pired, uh, is powered by a steam engine and this, this big belt system. So with, even when you walk in the door to the brewery, it's just, it just reeks of, of machine grease, and it's sticky hot from all the steam. And you walk over to the mash tun, it's this big iron open-top mash tun. Um, it, yeah, that's, that's an amazing experience. The, the beer, uh, sometimes the beer is great, sometimes the beer is less great. <laughs> but <laughs> but uh, really, the experience can't be beat to me. Awesome. Those are great recommendations. Thank you so much. I think I see a lot of people, you know, especially like on Facebook, you know, friends, friends, homebrewing friends are like, hey, I'm going to Belgium. What are not miss? And everybody has their own. So and I think the yeah, those are great recommendations. So Dave, thank you so much for joining us today on this. Uh, It's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, Thanks for having me. And you you have um, a lot of your recipes on your blog, as well as some of the stuff, a lot of the stuff that we talked about as far as Grisette's um, recipe formulation, a lot on Saison as well. So we would recommend 
if listeners out there want to know more, go to whorescategorybrewing.com. That's H-O-R-S-C-A-T-E-G-O-R-I-E brewing.com. Right on. Cool. Thanks, man. Dave Jansen, thank you, man. Much love. We'll see you yeah, at the National Homebrewers Conference at the latest. All right. Yeah. <laughs> Cheers. Okay. Thanks again. Fun man about, yeah, Fun man about it. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening. Like a red-eyed wild stallion, hell-bent to win. A battle with no winners, a wall with no end. On the banks of forgiveness, you clutch to your burden. Her waters are bathed.